You know, regularly my kids come up to me and say, Dad, I'm bored. You know what I tell them? That's a good thing. Time to get bored today on Surviving Seminary. Hey, y'all. My name is Kevin Sutherland, and I'm here with my co-host, Jason Stark. Hello. And we are talking about the beauty and virtue of boredom. And um, this is all kind of based off of a particular book, Kevin, that you read. So um, let's talk about that. Yep. The book is called Bored and Brilliant by Manoush Zamarodi. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Um, she's the former host. I thought she was a host, but now she, I, I read up that she's the former host of the podcast Note to Self. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you've ever listened to that one. Um, I haven't actually, but um, it's by WNYC and I've listened to several of theirs. So I'm kind of surprised that I haven't touched that one yet. Um, but she subsequently left WNYC uh, last year, actually, and she founded um, Stable Genius Productions. Mm. And so um, she hosts another podcast right now called ZigZag, which I think is actually about the process of setting up their media company. Mm. So yeah, we just want to make it clear that we are drawing from her work, and this is not completely something new with us although i have read many things in this area and some things that she's touched on um that kind of dovetail in with each other so we'll sprinkle some of that in with it and i'm actually pretty sure that i've already been talking about stuff um in previous episodes and in the past that is actually from this that i had actually i didn't realize it at the time that Mm. it's from this book so thanks for pointing it out to me and um, i listened to most of it i was about an hour short of finishing it as of this morning um, and this is just a general overview today. Like we're not, um, going to be, um, the podcast episode is not totally based on, on the book, like, especially because we want to take what's in the book and apply it to seminary life and see how it applies, um, to the phase of life that we're in. Um, so really what it's getting at is the idea that we live in a very super distracted world, um, and the constant sensory input that we get uh, from all kinds of media. And obviously, um, tech-related media is the star culprit in all of this, and that's what Zomorodi focuses on in the book. Yeah. And so I kind of like this episode because it's kind of giving a caveat or a little bit balance to some of our other episodes where we're talking about technology. Yeah, absolutely. Like, we've been talking about how to increase your efficiency and listen to books on your phone and and use tech in a lot of cases to to up your output. And we do need to kind of step back and say that um, it's kind of like in Jurassic Park when Malcolm says, you know, we just figure, spent so long trying to figure out how to do this that we didn't think about whether we should. Right. And all of a sudden you got like dinosaurs running around yeah. killing everyone. Yeah, and we don't want to say that tech is bad or not. Obviously, if you've been listening to the podcast and know the fact that we're using technology to post this, but it does need to be uh, handled carefully and properly. And that's the other thing is like it's kind of meta for us because we're trying really hard to grow our audience and mm-hmm. we're really trying to massage the Facebook page and mm-hmm. put posts out there. And so coming up to this material was kind of like sobering and made us think about how do we how do we um, apply all of these things uh, to our own situation? Yeah. 
So some of the things that she talks about in the book are just social media and how um, it is it triggers dopamine in our brain. And uh, I don't know if you guys know this about me, but neurology, even though I don't know, I'm not a neurologist is like one of my big interests and it really makes me happy and excited to read stuff. They release dopamine into your yes, system. It releases dopamine into my system, but about how, you know, waiting for that extra like and oops, somebody else dinged it and commented on it. So I got to get on my Facebook right now to answer this and, and, Otherwise, they might not get engaged or they might think I don't exist anymore or whatnot. So, but also, um, not just social media, but also like games on our phones that can get really addictive. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like the Candy Crush or her example is the, the game Two Dots. So, this game is from uh, the book, excuse me, is from a couple years ago. I don't, I don't, I've never played Two Dots. And I don't know if it's still popular. Yeah, I haven't played it either. I did Google it and saw what it kind of looked like, but uh, yeah. It wouldn't be my cup of tea, but she talks about it and she interviews the guy that uh, actually helped create that and um, trying to get him to kind of admit that maybe that they were they were designing the game to be addictive. Yeah, and he held out, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, <laughs> he kept kind of avoiding uh, the uh, the pink elephant in the room. But obviously big tech is trying really, really hard to get your attention. And so this is not made um this is not made any easier uh for that. It's it's made way harder. And not only that, but big tech is really good at getting our attention. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they have big data and um applying all of the data that's coming in. If you think all of the data input that comes in from Google and comes into Amazon and into Facebook, just the algorithmic power that's generated from these um, these all this data is just mind-boggling and really good at figuring out the kinds of things that you like, yes, and the kinds of things that your friend likes mm-hmm. versus the things that the person on the other side of town likes. Right, and so um, it just makes it all that harder to escape from distractions because um, because of the power that 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 data produces. The more we get um, entangled in looking at our phones and being on social media, obviously, um, opportunity costs, you can't, um, by, by definition, have that same interaction, uh, with your family, um, or with your friends when you're busy staring at your phone. Mm -hmm. Um, but also, I mean, like not just social media stuff, but also like general tasks, um, of what we need to do, like our work lives for a lot of people are starting to become more and more, like they're starting to invade more into our home lives yep. because of technology. Totally. Um, email chains, group texts, mm-hmm. um, the ability to uh, get your documents from the cloud and work on them on any device. Um, it's bringing work closer and closer into personal life, whereas that was not the case before. Right. But ironically, the, the ironic part is that all this stuff is supposed to increase our efficiency, but it's not. According to what Zomorodi is saying in her book, that actually the opposite of increased productivity is happening. Well, I, I, I can't say, no, let me back up. Not um, the opposite of increased productivity. What's really happening, though, is that productivity is kind of happening at the expense of creativity yes. and innovation. Mm-hmm. Why, yeah. why is that? The kind of productivity that's going, it is counterintuitive, but it's... 
it tends to be the kind of tasks that we're already doing. It's the day-to-day getting the work done, but... Kind of like busy work. Yeah. And so there's not as much collaborative. And what this does is when it comes in and starts taking in your own uh, personal time and your time to reflect, your leisure time, it blocks out your chance of letting your brain wander and maybe make new connections between different things from the outside. Yeah, I mean, and I think that, you know, the more busy work that you have, I think the idea is really just the more miserable it makes you Mm -hmm. in the long term. Yeah. And the problem is that, you know, sure, the busy work makes you more miserable because of all the stuff that's distracting you on your phone from, you know, important life stuff. But at the same time, the tech also offers a very convenient salve to this to this wound, which is all the other distractions right. that are supposed to be like about fun stuff, like whether it's social media or games. So all in all, you end up being extremely busy either in one form or in another and distracted from what's going on around you. Yeah. So she talked about a little bit, and this is information that I have from other things. So if it's not all from her, I, I'm sorry, but um, the effect of technology, social media, games, and whatnot to kind of become an addictive thing because it's releasing this dopamine in your brain um, and you're just getting exposed and exposed. The more you're sitting there using it, the more you need to use it, just like you know the, the typical story of the slippery slope of drugs. You know, you use some kind of hard drug for a while and it your brain gets used to it because, again, your brain... It, doesn't like to be discombobulated much it does and it can be exciting and whatnot but your brain just kind of starts adapting and gets used to that new stimulus so eventually your brain gets used to this much dopamine from liking and clicking and uh, making the game win to the next level so your brain needs to go and do a little bit more to try to get more of that stimulation that it, it craves the the reason that things like creativity and innovation are being stifled um, in all the distraction is because the thing that really keeps creativity and innovation flowing is being pushed out. And that's basically quiet time, you know, basically time to, um, as we've been hinting at through our word choice here, time to be bored. Yeah. So Zoma Rodi, she cited some research. I can't remember the name of the, the person who was doing the studies um, uh, and like all of the, all of the MRIs and all of like the brain studies and things like that, but on what she called uh, in the book, well, actually what the, what the person called the default mode Mm -hmm. that the brain goes into. And in this, like, it's like a natural state when the brain is like at rest, not actively engaging in tasks. And again, basically being bored. Um, And when the brain is in this default mode, um, that's a state in which is supposed to allow time for, um, creative creativity and and ideas to develop in ways that they don't develop otherwise. Yeah, um, we can go ahead and talk about it now, just to bring in a little bit of a spiritual aspect of it. But there's a an intertestamental book. Uh, if you are a Protestant, you might call it an apocryphal book, or if you're in the Catholic tradition, it's the Deuterocanonical book. But uh, Ben Sirach. Um, and he talks about in chapter 38 the fact that to be a scribe, and in those days a scribe would be someone that would help interpret the law, 
um, not just writing things, but passing down tradition and adding to tradition and things of that nature. And the things that they have to do, they have to be able to have leisure time. And so for them, they talk about the the fact that, yes, you do need uh, you know people to be blacksmiths and potters and whatnot in there because they are what make the city work. But those people don't have the time. And so because they don't have the time, because they are, you know, focusing on their craft or they are focusing on providing a living um, or whatnot, they are they don't really have the time to sit and think and ponder about new or better ways to do things. And the ironic thing is with our own use of tech is most people that are in seminary have that ability because typically they're not trying to find their, although we're typically very on the low end financially, we also have that built in time to sit and reflect and think, but you know what we do? We get on Facebook and click and like, and well, I'm picking on Facebook, but we get on that game that we're right, loving yeah. so much or whatnot. And we'll just, we're just using Facebook as kind of like the poster child for all this. So we don't want to make other social media um, feel left out or anything. Right. But um, anyway, and I will say that Ben Sirach's, um, um the stuff that he's talking about does kind of smack of like high class right. um, status and, and things like that. And we do understand that this whole thing does kind of um, have a first world sort of flavor to it. So we understand that there are plenty of people in the world for whom this whole subject is not even, it's not even going to be on the radar because there are plenty of people um, who are just trying to survive, right. um, like literally yeah. um, from day to day, not like surviving seminary kind of survive. Right. Um, and so, um, but what he's, what he had said though, in that, in that passage, uh, it does speak to this where we need time to be, quiet. We need time to be removed. Um, and when we do that, our brains can process things in ways that can lead us to real breakthroughs uh, when it comes to ideas and creative applications and working out of what what our brains have been just kind of ruminating on. Mm-hmm. And I think that another thing that kind of I think about in all of this is the, the, the thing where you can not be able to really... Um, formulate or crystallize your ideas or what's on your mind and then you sleep on it and then you wake up and and all and suddenly things are a lot clearer mm-hmm. and i guess this to me that's kind of related although i i think it's you know what what she's talking about in the book is the ability to during your conscious waking hours to kind of go through a process of of stepping back and and allowing quiet to help you be creative whereas um Sleeping on it is more about how your unconscious brain alone is is working on it. Well, I've read other books, though, that talk about that, and they, they attribute it to a subconscious level. And so it is kind of the same thing, and maybe they're using a little bit different t- terminology. But your brain is still working even when you're asleep, um, and it's making all kinds of random connections, which is why you can have some of the weirdest dreams of your life is because it's processing everything that you've experienced, saw, heard, thought about, uh, smelled, whatever – um, and it just kind of reassembles them in different ways. And so sometimes that can carry over and you can have this epiphany moment of, wait, what if we do this just like this and suddenly everything's a lot better or whatnot? So we've talked about um, a couple of really broad uh, general ideas. Mm-hmm. One is the idea that our tech lives 
are getting increasingly um, out of our control. And I use the general hour, but I mean, I can, uh, maybe you disagree about your own personal experience. I mean, for myself, I feel like, yeah, that's pretty accurate to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had, I've had some problems, you know, and some of the things that we've talked about in previous episodes of like um, removing, uh, like upping transaction costs for yep. stuff that you shouldn't mm-hmm. be doing. It's actually stuff that came out of this stuff. Cause I've heard her like on podcast interviews before and I thought, Oh, that's a good idea. I'll take that with me. And then later coming back around to this, I realized, Oh, it's this person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that our tech lives are getting like increasingly out of our control and that we need to do something about it. So I guess the first question is, you know, does this, does this concept of getting away from all that, does that seem ridiculous to you? I mean, if you think about your life and your relationship to tech, does that seem like a ridiculous notion to you to change the way that you do stuff with your technology, or does it seem more realistic? Um, and if you're out there um, listening, you know, how many of you out there seem feel like maybe this is something that you need um, because of the distractions that your phone or your computer or however the tech, because again, I think you already said, Kevin, that tech itself is not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, tech can be useful and, and it's become very useful for us in a lot of very helpful ways as yeah. we've been going through seminary. But the question is when it starts to become the focal point yeah. of, um, of our lives in one or another different kinds of ways, um, so is this something that you feel like, like you need? Zomorodi has this, um, challenge, which, um, is called in the book, uh, the board, board and brilliant challenge. And it's mm-hmm. six things that you, that you do once every day, um, uh, to combat this like constant preoccupation and encourage healthy, um, boredom for mm-hmm. the reasons that we've been talking about. So the first one is to keep your phone in your pocket. Like this is day one. Keep your phone in your pocket while you're in transit. Mm-hmm. Now, that means obviously while you drive, but even if you're just walking from one place to another, because I know for myself, you know, I, I, if I'm walking from one place to another, a lot of times I do have my phone out and I'm doing something with it. Mm-hmm. But her idea is, you know, put it away while you're going anywhere. Uh, I think she even suggests like putting it in a, in a bag, like not putting it in your pocket, right. not keeping it on your person specifically. Then she suggests for the second day what she calls a photo-free day, meaning you don't take any pictures, not Mm -hmm. of your... She The first thing that she comes up with is don't take any pictures of your lunch. I'm by no means a person who takes a picture of my lunch. But anyway, there are people who do, and if you are, I'm sorry, I don't mean to like, you know, I'm not not judging you or anything. Um, But no photos of anything. Uh, Just kind of experience the world around you with your own eyes. Yeah, I, and I, that particular one spoke pretty well to me because I remember, you know, going through photo albums uh, as a kid was kind of a special memory, jog down memory lane. But I have tons of photos of my kids and whatnot, and I don't even know what most of them are. I can't even tell you when things happen because it's like I could theoretically, I don't tend to do this. I don't take a lot of pictures, but I could theoretically take a picture, like 10 pictures of my kids every day and then two years from now, I won't be able to tell you why I took this picture for them. Um, and it gets kind of back into what you were saying about when you allow something to do something for you. In this case, it's allowing the picture to be your eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't remember as much about it yourself. Yeah. Um, so the next one, here's a kicker. 
Um, this one I think is is a challenge. Delete your most used app. Mm. Um, whatever that one is that is always getting you, get rid of it. Just just take the plunge, delete it off of your phone. For me, that'd probably be Facebook. Mm-hmm. What's your most used app? And delete it. She doesn't, I think she kind of ups the challenge uh, potentially in saying like, if you want to go further, like just delete that account. Yeah. Like instead of just deleting your Facebook app off your phone, which you've done, Kevin, yeah, um, just to just to delete the account altogether. And I did that several months ago. Like I was just done. I was just mm-hmm. tired of. I was just kind of tired out by Facebook, and so I just up and deleted my account. I didn't really tell anybody, and yeah. um, I just did it. But yeah, then, I did it for about a year, and then I I got back in largely because of this podcast. Ditto. Yeah. Um, then after that, she talks about taking a, what she calls a focation. Um, but that's basically just like a, um, a a time period, whether it's a few hours or a day, um, where you break tech connectivity for just some certain time period. And I suppose that's no text, no emails, right. To, to disconnect from all that, which again, for depending on who you are and what your line of work is, that could be pretty difficult. Um, then following that to, um, now that you've done all those things and kind of removed yourself a little bit from your relationship with your technology, spend some time paying more attention to your surroundings. So yeah. as you're going on that walk or you're um, spending time away from all of those things, what do you notice around you instead? And finally, um, that kind of clears the way for a final challenge, which is to actually spend some time in boredom for the purpose of actually enhancing your creative output, not just your task output, but the creativity that you bring to things. Yep. So with that, I want to ask um, some questions of you as you're listening. I mean, do these things, do these steps, these challenges seem ridiculous to you? Like, does it seem like totally crazy and off the wall for you to delete whatever that that one app is for you that you feel like you can't live without? Or on the other hand, does this feel like something that you might really need? Um, and does it feel like something that's that's pulling at you? We've been talking about uh, the Bored and Brilliant book, but now we kind of want to pivot from there to talking about how this relates to seminary and our own Christian worldview. Right, bit. because uh, I don't know, I don't really know what Manus Zumarodi's religious beliefs are or anything like that. I, I couldn't really find anything about that Um when I was digging around. So I don't know, but I mean, it's not as if the book is presented as coming from any sort of Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we kind of have to take these things and apply them more specifically to how, um, to how we understand the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, we've got all the same kinds of distractions. Uh, so that part's kind of the same. So I think one thing that a Christian worldview can bring to this is the reality that um, the world is broken and uh, some of these technological habits can be some signs of brokenness in us and in the world we're around. Yeah, I think like, um, I mean, the kinds of brokenness that come to my mind are really just uh, feelings of emptiness mm-hmm. um, when life is not like fulfilling to us or like there's this feeling of dissatisfaction um, or there's a need to accomplish something at any costs, really like the desire to have notoriety, the desire to be noticed, 
and the desire to get things done as a result of that, which really I think the other side of that is like a lack of trust in our God. Yes. And so, um, yeah, there's there's a sense in which we have to take these things that we've been reading about as far uh, that we've been reading about, we're telling you about. Um, we have to see them through a lens of how we're broken people and we're faulty. We have um, and we have things that the Lord wants to deal with in our lives. Yeah, and one of our mandates that we feel from God uh, is that God created us to create ourselves, uh, to be creative. And essentially what we're doing is we, when we have that free moment or whatnot, uh, we're going to our uh, dopamine source of choice and pushing out the chance to really think about what can I do differently about my life? How could I make something a little bit better? How could I do a new project that will make a difference. Yeah, yeah, we're we're made to be creative and that's an awesome reality of human beings, but also we kind of need to be creative. Mm-hmm. Um I'm thinking of this through our lens of of biblical studies where if it's a research paper, it is um almost always a thesis-driven research paper and you need to have an angle through which you are approaching a particular biblical passage and that takes creativity. Yeah. Because you need to figure out how your argument is going to fit within the whole conversation about that biblical passage and where your space in the research is going to be carved out. So that doesn't just come automatically. It takes it takes time. Yeah. I mean, so when you're you're doing a paper, very rarely are, is someone going to read a summary of what everybody else has done unless that serves some kind of an argument. Um, you don't typically want to read this is what i say and i'm only saying that because 15 other people have said the exact same thing and i'm adding nothing new to this right you want to have a a specific um something that you're bringing to the table and so um so we need creativity and therefore if we're going to take seriously um the kind of research that's gone into the book we've been talking about we need boredom we need the time to get away from the tasks uh, of every day, and especially from the way that um, we're being driven to fill more and more of our time with doing and doing, and instead step away from that intentionally. That can be hard because we have this this drive in us to, um, to accomplish and to make happen, and so our reflex is to try to do that in our own strength, mm-hmm. but our our own strength isn't good enough to begin with, right? Um, which again, that that kind of relates to this being a trusting in God issue. Our own strength is not good enough to begin with. We need the guidance of God as He's called us, and we also need um, the kind of rest that boredom can offer us, as counterintuitive as it can feel. Yeah, we need it. Yeah. Um, I've got a personal story, but I was, you know, when you were talking, I was just struck by the story of Elijah and he's up on the mountain and, you know, there's a storm and the fire and all of this stuff, but God's not in any of that. He's in the quiet thing. He's not in any of the exciting, amazing things. And he, he really can be, but I think there's a important lesson in that of you need quiet to listen to God and, um, that takes maybe risking being bored. I love that story. I mean, like um, 
now that you've now that you've mentioned it, I mean, for, on the one hand, just from the perspective of the whole book, I mean, that takes place right after the showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal mm-hmm. on Mount Carmel, and that is an event that's characterized by fire and um, and action and excitement, and then we go to this to this state that Elijah's in where he feels like he has to run away mm-hmm. and um well it's it's pretty soon after that anyway yeah it's right it's it's very much on the heels of it anyway and um and he goes to Sinai and he has this experience with God and um and he's just in such a state and God's response is very simple it's just what are you doing yeah what are you doing and and he Elijah gives his um, his reasons for you know what he's doing, why he's there, that this bad thing has happened, this bad thing has happened, all of your prophets are dead, and I'm the one who's left. And so that's when God takes him out um, outside to see all those things that you were just talking about. And then after seeing that God comes in the still small voice, he asks him again and says, what are you doing, Elijah? And um, it's a very powerful moment um, for me, as I've read that, mm-hmm. because God takes us from our place of frenzy, whether that's external frenzy in what we're doing or the internal frenzy that can take over us. Right. You know, the external frenzy is kind of like a it's an outflow of all that of the of our unsettledness in our hearts, and God comes to us and slows us down at times and says to us, "What are you doing?" Yeah. And and brings us back to focus upon Him. And mm-hmm. from that, God gives Elijah um, a, a new assignment, a new um, a new task to which he must commit himself, and it comes out of a direct call from God and a sustaining of God. Because in that time, I believe you know he doesn't eat or drink anything. Yeah. Um, and so God sustains him and sends him back. Yeah. And it kind of relates. I've got my own personal story. Um, I. There was one time where I was praying and I was just sitting there, you know, kind of just letting my mind wander a little bit in a prayerful mode. I'd been talking to Jesus and I was just being quiet. And all of a sudden I felt like God said, go to this passage in Greek. And so I went to this passage and then he said, go to this other passage in the same book in Greek. And it was amazing. Like I didn't know. Okay. This was not in my cognizance. I wasn't really good at Greek at this point. I was just starting to learn. And I saw where the same words were being used and it made this connection that really solidified in my brain. And I wrote a, a paper. It was really well received by my professors and whatnot. And this was all in undergrad. It wasn't even in seminary or whatnot. And um, it, I fully believe that I was led by the spirit for the, that particular insight because it wasn't anything that was in my brain before that. And allowing myself that boredom allowed me to listen to the Holy Spirit saying, why don't you go check this out? And then that just flew right into working out a practical assignment that I had to do for a class and I got a paper done out of it. That's great. I mean, I think that what I am um, hearing as we talk about all this and as we try to merge um, the ideas from the book, uh, with what we know and with what, um, with how we view life in the world and, um, and how our faith comes to that is that we are, 
as as the as the psalm says, fearfully and wonderfully made. As we talked about the amazing power of the brain to mm-hmm. process just on its own or while we sleep. I mean, what we bring to that is the acknowledgement that God is amazing in how we are made and how He um, how He is allowed for us in our bodies, not just in our conscious thoughts, but in our uh, but in our bodies and in our physiology to be able to experience creativity um, when we're not just hammering away at it. Right. And that God, here's the thing, is that I think the book, Bored and Brilliant, um, it talks about all of the power of boredom, but for a practical purpose of, you know, achieving a significant goal, you know, but that's, that's I would say, more like professionally minded as mm-hmm. far as unlocking the power of creativity. And yeah, she talks about um the the power of boredom as far as increased uh like enhanced quality time with family and all that too but a lot of it is about um unlocking what it takes to to really hit the next level on a project or something like that but what we bring to this in our understanding is that God is preparing us for kingdom work mm-hmm. work that can only be brought about and really fulfilled by him anyway. But this is work that has eternal significance if we'll allow him to work through us. Totally. And so um, so we have to find times to, uh, to rest so that we can be recharged, not just for personal, but it is for personal health, and not just for... Um, and not just for accomplishments themselves, but what for those accomplishments mean for the kingdom. Yeah. For today, we're going to... Uh, we're going to close up. So we hope that you've enjoyed the episode. Uh, we also hope that you would um, follow us uh, on our Facebook page, Surviving Seminary Podcast. You can also find uh, links there to our email if you want to contact us. You can also contact us um, right there in the page. And uh, we do hope also that you would subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. Yeah. And so we'd especially like to hear from you if you guys have any stories about uh your own relationship with tech or um, your own experience of boredom and whatnot. So if you've got those, please share with us. We'd love to share some of that with our listeners. And with that, we will call it a day, guys. See you later. See ya. See ya.